Deacon Care Group that you have a get-together here after the morning service, and that's still on for those uh, here who are here um, for that. In 2008, Russian Orthodox official uh, or leaders in Russia discovered that one of their church buildings had disappeared. Poof. I mean, gone. It was a 200-year-old two-story building in Moscow and it had gone unused for a decade. The Orthodox Church that was experiencing um, some, some growth in their area was considering reopening this building. And that's when they discovered the church building wasn't there. And so they tried to get to the bottom of this. They investigated the matter. They affirmed that it was not aliens that took the building away uh, from outer space. They said that uh, upon further investigation, they found that the perpetrators were from a village nearby, a nearby town outside of Moscow, who, said, who they said had taken and sold bricks from the building to a businessman. Each, each brick they received one ruble for. And that two-story church facility didn't go from being a building to not being a building in one bulldozing stroke or a wrecking ball. Apparently, as they investigated, these bricks were chiseled out one by one by lots of people who needed rubles. In the same way, some churches built not of bricks but of living stones of Christians can be reduced by believers not choo- choosing not to be involved, doing their own thing, missing the priority of Jesus' church at the center of His plan. Do your own thing. That's our society, right? And every decision to do that means one less living stone. And in the end, the church intended by God to be the display of God's glory, His spiritual temple, is chiseled away. But think about the opposite. Think about the converse. Each person who is devoted and committed to Christ's church, who gets involved, helps to build a holy temple in the Lord made up of living bricks where Jesus Christ is glorified and honored. We saw verses 7-9 through last time and we were reminded as he opens in verse 7 the reality that we live at a frantic pace and filled with anxiety and little time. and, 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 And Peter says, the end of the age is is here. It's here. Jesus' return is soon, in other words. And, 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 and we, we, we hear all kinds of things about, about what the world is doing. We have all kinds of information about that and, and breaking news and alerts on our phones and, and, and all kinds of, of, uh, of amplified noise in this world. And it can cause a frantic heart and a worried heart. And Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. And he says, therefore, be clear-headed. Be clear-headed. And watch or be alert to prayer. Settle your heart. Settle your heart. And so we saw um, last week specifically that the captain, he is guiding the ship through the storm to the harbor. He's guiding it to a destination. His hands are on the wheel, ladies and gentlemen. He has not wound up the clock and backed off and said, alright, you guys are on your own. He is guiding this the history of mankind to a destination. He's in charge still. And so we can rest in Him and we can direct our anxieties to the Lord in prayer rather than in franticness. And then secondly, we saw in verse 8, and above all things. So out of this idea that the end of the age is coming, He doesn't say run around like chickens with your heads cut off. He doesn't say worry and be more frantic. What He says is a couple simple things here. 
above all things, in light of the end of the age, above all things, number one priority, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So it reminds us that as God has poured out His love upon us, He then calls us to now love in a way that needs to endure. In a way that is stretching into love. In a way that is not drawing back. And He wants us to do that in a way that is a, has, a, has a heart that is a heart of forgiveness. Love covering a multitude of sins. And a heart that understands that I was a recipient of God's grace and my sin. And therefore, in light of that, I can show the same grace and love to others that Jesus has given me. And so He's pulled us out of the sea onto a ship to pull others out of the sea through His love. And then thirdly, we saw He's given us a very specific, very simple way Shared um, last week Max uh, Lucado's uh, quote there about um, hospitality, calling it the most ancient ministry. And if you have a table and you got a front door, you have a ministry of hospitality. And then we saw that um, uh, that he says, "Use hospitality in verse nine, one to another, without grudging, without grudging." And because God has showered His grace, He's showered His gifts on us, therefore, we can open our lives. And you're wondering, well, what is that? What is hospitality? What does that look like? It may or may not be table fellowship. That's just one of the ways that it seems to be um, prominently uh, presented in the Scripture in the New Testament. What it is, is opening our lives, ultimately. It's opening our lives and inviting people into our lives. That's what it is. And not building up walls and not pushing people away, but opening up our lives and inviting people into our lives. And what better way to do that than our homes is the primary application there. So it's in light of this that then he says, uh, with the end of the age, he says in verse 10, as every man has received the gift, even so minister or serve that same, the same gift, one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so that's our text here this morning in verse 10 and 11. One of the problems that can happen, and one of the reasons Peter writes, especially his second letter, Second Peter, is that we can have amnesia. We can forget things, spiritual amnesia. And one of the things that we may forget, even though we kind of know it in the back of our heads, but we forget in the fact that we don't practice it enough, is that we forget that when we're saved, we were given a gift to build up others. Probably many of us have been saved a long time. We all know that, right? But Peter doesn't want us to just know it. He wants us to understand what, what God has given us and then how to exercise it. And so he writes these, these verses. He say, well, I'm not sure I really have forgotten that, that when I was saved, I was given a gift. I've been taught that. I've been told that. Well, here's the questions then to see if this is really um, uh, something that is a priority in our lives. Are you building others up with your gift? Simple question, right? Are you building others up with your gift? Um, God does not take very lightly things that He's given us when we hide it under a bushel or bury it in a napkin, right? Or we sit on it. Or we take the things He's given us and are paralyzed with fear or wondering what and how to do it. Maybe we look at our abilities and we don't really see those things as a gift from God. We think, I'm just awesome. (laughs) I just have these things. This is just who I am. I've worked at this. 
And we may forget that it's not a gift, that it's, that it's a gift from God. Or maybe we really honestly haven't thought about the fact that God has given each of his children a way to build up others and build up his kingdom. He really has. Or maybe we know that and we know what our gift is, but we might taint it by doing it in our own power. And so therefore, if we don't receive praise or recognition, or we have difficulties come up as we're serving, and by the way, when the beginning of service starts, when the affirmation and praise ends, that's when you know you're a servant, right? Um, When that happens, we get burned out or discouraged or start getting a bad attitude. We might taint it by doing it in our power or making our own words primary instead of God's power and God's word. That's All these things are reminders that we need to go to this text in verse 10-11 and see what God has for us today in 1 Peter 4-10-11. Because otherwise, we could be stealing God's deserved glory and tarnishing His name is what Peter wants us to understand. So what would it look like for each of us together to serve one another for the glory of God. Well, God guides into exactly how you and I can love God by loving people with the grace of God working through us. In other words, how um, our here and now can impact forever in eternity. So what are we going to do about it? Well, let's look at the very first verse there again. Verse 10. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The very first thing I want you to see is use the king's gift. Very simple. Use the king's gift. God has saved you for a purpose. Someone has said there's two great moments in a person's life. The moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. Even more so for the Christian. The moment you were born again, and the moment you realize why you were born again. But he told a story about um, their pastor who was organizing an outreach in their community and is using some small, simple acts of kindness to demonstrate Christ's love and serve their community. And he phoned some uh, neighborhood grocery stores and laundromats for permission to do some specific things there for them and serve them. And on one call, an employee answered the phone and they hesitated and said, well, I need to, I'll need to call the manager and, and, and ask. First, let me make sure I understand. You want to clean up the parking lot? You want to retrieve shopping carts for us? Hold umbrellas for customers? And you don't want anything in return, right? Yeah, that's right, the pastor said. And so the employee um, put, put him on hold and then returned to the phone after talking to um, her boss and said, I'm sorry, we can't let you do that because if we let you do it, we'll have to let everyone else do it too. Right? You're laughing at that. It's ridiculous, right? Because what wonderful thing would that be if everybody did that, right? And so it is here in verse 10, as every man, every believer has received the gift, God wants every believer then to do it, to practice it. In other words, each person who has known Jesus Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are His child. You have told the world that you are His child, been marked out for your baptism. Has absolutely, every one of you, from the three-year-old little child who comes to know Jesus, to the oldest saint in this room, you have each absolutely received a way to serve God. If you are a Christian, then you are a minister. 
I'm not the minister, I'm a minister among you. God has given you a capacity to put others first and build in a very specific way. Notice what he says in verse 10. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That word manifold is an interesting word. It basically means varied grace. Variety of grace. God's grace comes to us in so many different ways. God's kindness is gift to us. comes in so many ways, doesn't it? You could say it this way. And it has been translated this way in other places. Um, the multicolored grace of God. It looks very different. But it's from His hand. It's His good gifts. It's kindness. Listen, <clears throat> we have received a gift of God that has come. He's bestowed upon us. He didn't just save us and then say, okay, that's it. He has, he, has, he, has, he has promised eternal relationship with Him. He's promised an eternal home with Him. He has given us a gift to serve Him in the meantime here. And duty might make us do things well, but love makes us do them beautifully. Philip Brooks said that, and that has just stuck in my, in my head here recently. Am I doing things just to do them, or am I motivated by love for God and love for others? Because that is when it crosses from black and white into color. That's when the high definition is seen here. If I'm doing it out of love. And God has loved, He poured out on us, and so therefore, He has given us a gift, each one of us a gift, every one of us a very different gift, but He will then tell us they're going to be in two categories, basically word and deed. But notice what He says at the end of verse 10, as good stewards of this manifold, the multicolored grace of God. A steward is a household manager. Um, in our area, probably one of the ways um, we can start to understand what a steward is, is to think about some of the wealthy um, summer homes in this area. Um, uh, a, a, a pastor friend of mine, Pastor McGee, was at um, TJ Maxx before Christmas and he saw John Travolta's got a house in Islesboro. And um, just let's, let's, just use, let's just use John's house, alright? I'm sure he has hired somebody to take care of that house. They're the manager of that house. They make sure there's groceries in the fridge. I don't know. Maybe not because John Travolta had to go to TJ Maxx and get something. I don't know. Um, but he, he makes sure that the, the lawn is manicured. I'm sure, you know, the, the paint that needs to be slapped on there is slapped on, etc. Um, he is the household manager. Um, he is managing, uh, probably has a certain budget, has possessions, property, real estate here, and he has a relationship to the to the, the boss, John Travolta, ultimately. But his job is to do the best with what he has been given here. That's what a household manager is. That's what a steward is. And we're, God, God has told us that He has given us this responsibility to steward them well. Let me give you an example of bad stewardship. So we know good stewardship. In 2012, Robert Kraft, the New England Patriots owner, um, revealed to the world that the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, had stolen one of Kraft's $25,000 Super Bowl rings. I don't feel too bad for Robert Kraft because he has some more of those, where those came from. 
But it's true. Back in 2005, when Kraft was visiting Putin at the Kremlin, that was his first mistake, but anyway, he made the mistake of showing the Russian leader one of his Super Bowl rings. And he took it out and he handed it to Putin, who put it on his finger, and because of the massive size, the size of this $25,000 ring, he said, I could kill someone with this ring. You can just imagine him saying that in his Russian voice because it was so massive. Then according to Kraft, Putin put it in his pocket, his KJB guys surrounded him, and they walked out with Kraft's ring in Vladimir Putin's pocket. It even has Bob Kraft's name engraved on it. Kraft didn't know what to do, so he talked to the State Department, this is according to Robert Kraft here, and they encouraged him in the interest of U.S.-Russian relations to lie and say that he gave it to Putin as a gift. But Kraft broke his silence in 2012. Maybe some of you remember this. The point is this. Kraft did give Putin his ring temporarily, right? To borrow for a few moments. He intended for Putin to use it for a few moments, to put it on his finger, admire it. He did not intend for Putin, once Putin took possession of it, to act as if the ring belonged to him. And isn't that what we might be tempted to do? When it comes to stewardship, this is mine, right? Right? No, it is not. Anything that we have is better than we deserve and belongs to God. Physical possessions, abilities, etc. And God has given us gifts and they're all unique. They're all unique gifts, right? A whale is as unique as a cactus. But don't ask a whale to survive Death Valley, right? And don't ask the cactus to dive down to ocean depths. We all have special gifts. When we use them, where we use them and how we use them determines whether or not we are going to contribute to God's economy here. His spiritual economy. Now, notice in verse 11. He now will talk about two basic categories of gifts here. And you'll see this through Scripture. Scripture will talk about word and deed. Word and deed. And they are not two things that need to be pitted against each other or one that needs to be overemphasized at the, at the expense of another. They are both twins. They both need to be present in the life of a believer. Word and deed here. And so he'll start off with word and then you'll see in verse, um, in verse uh, 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 rest of verse 11 he will talk about deed. Okay, we need both. So let's talk about the first word. You're probably wondering, word, what does that mean? How do I use my tongue, then, to serve others for God's glory? Well, the second thing we need to understand, if we're going to use the king's gift, one of the gifts is speaking, and so we're to speak the king's words. You realize that speaking is a gift. There's obviously people who can't speak. And if you couldn't speak, you'd realize how much that is a gift, to be able to speak. But here he's specifically talking about communicating the truth of God. There are men in this room that have a, a, a specific speaking gift. There are ladies in this room who have a way with God's word to communicate God's truth. And notice what he says in verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. You're wondering maybe what that word oracles means. That's the very words of God. The very words of God. So in other words, 
When it is time to build up people with words, we do it according to the Word of God, the King's Word. It is not my job this morning for you to come here and hear my opinions and my rants and my pet hobby horses. And God forbid anybody who steps in this pulpit or teaches a class does that. It is my job to proclaim to you what the Word of God says and have the Holy Spirit apply it. Now, in our preaching classes in college, and that is just one way, by the way, to apply this text here with a speaking gift here, um, my professor said this, I should be able to have Peter sit on the front row here. Not Peter Eckhart, Peter the Apostle. Preach this passage, and at the end be able to ask Peter, Peter, was that what you were saying? The answer should be yes. It is not my job to make the Word of God my servant. That's why I rarely, that's why we rarely speak topically. It is the job of those who speak the Word of God to be a servant underneath the Word of God. And so therefore, because God's Word is... We're looking this morning, the very words of God is truth and grace. His words are life. And only His words will matter eternally. Remember, Jesus said we will all be accountable to Him for every idle word we speak in the day of judgment. To stay on task and to stay on track and not wander off on rabbit trails and stay in the Word of God. So if you're proclaiming the Word of God publicly, you need to do this or you need to sit down. How many of you have been in... You're teaching the Word of God and it's just rabbit trail after rabbit trail and this or that. And you're like, no, we were in these verses, right? That's our job. That's our task here, right? Um, Sunday school teachers, it's your job to teach the Word of God. Parents, fathers, in your, in your family devotions, mothers, in your home, when you, when you get around the Word of God, it is your job to tell what the Word of God says and communicate that clearly. Now, this happens in a variety of ways. By the way, this is not saying um, that you only need to be quoting Scripture. You need to be communicating clearly the accuracy and truth of Scripture. Um, This can happen in a variety of ways. Counseling, formally and informal counseling situations. A phone call, a text, an encouraging word, right? There are many ways that the speaking gifts of God can be exhibited. And this opportunity right now as a public pulpit ministry is not the only way. Not everybody's called to do that. But when you are called to speak, when you're called to speak truth, you do it in accordance with God's Word. Because that's what's going to matter in the end. God's going to take the things I say and whatever was me is going to burn off, right? Whatever is His truth stands forever. And so there's some folks that have a particular gift in a proficiency in that area here. of, of Gifted specially to build up the body through words. Do it. You don't need my permission. You have God's permission. Do it and do it according to His Word. 
you're probably wondering if there's a way to serve. And that's, you might say, well, that's, that's, that's not where the gift that I lean into. Um, is, there, is there a way to serve indeed then that is according, that will provide God's, uh, that will contribute to God's glory? And Peter says emphatically, yes, look at verse 11. And if any man minister or serve, indeed is the idea here. Let him do it as of the ability which God gives. And so thirdly, I want you to serve through the king's supply. The word minister, serve, is the word diakonos. And you hear right in your minds here, you're hearing the word deacon, right? A deacon is a servant. Based on John chapter 13, where that word is used over and over, and in Acts chapter 6, it's the idea of a servant. Serving specifically in deeds. With the example of our Lord Jesus Christ here. And in a secondary application, all of us are diakonos. We are deacons in a certain sense here. We are serving. Notice how he says we are to serve. If we're going to glorify God, let him do it as of the ability which God gives. That word ability is strength or might. If you are not doing it in God's strength and the grace from God, you are stealing a gift and you're crediting yourself. If I'm doing it in my own power, I don't need God, right? Therefore, it's mine. And guess who I just stole the glory from? And by the way, it's a false service. It's not a true service. But this strength comes through faith. You're wondering, well, what would it look like to not serve indeed in God's strength? Well, it would look like not attaching what you're doing with God's glory, with eternity, that this really matters. And it would also look like you not depending on God. And what would happen is, if you're doing it in your flesh, doing your own power, you can do it a little while. But you can't find joy. You can't find joy. And I wonder if, as you're serving this morning uh, and other places throughout the week, I wonder if it's coming um, to a point where you realize, I don't have joy. And maybe the first question you need to ask is, am I doing it according to the strength that God provides? You see, where does that come from? That comes through faith. D.L. Moody said that if the world is going to be reached, I'm convinced that it must be done by men and women of average talent. After all, there are comparatively few people in the world who have great talents. He apparently was one of those who did have great talents. Uh, here, he would say he was an ordinary person. Now, the point is this. If I am doing my ordinary service here through... God's power, I am doing an extraordinary thing. If I can set myself aside in joy for others, for God's glory, I am doing it in the ability, the strength that God has given, not myself. Now you hear this word service, and it's so general, right? It's like service. Well, what does that mean? You hear that, minister. Well, he's talking about the one another's specifically here. You might have heard of the one another's. There are many times uh, that in the New Testament the word one another is used. It's used a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses. Um, 60% of those come from Paul. And if you were to take all these one another's in the New Testament and kind of divide them up and boil them down into categories, here's what you would get. They're not that hard. 
They're very simple. And here is here I want you to hear the thrust here, because this is totally in line with what he said in verses seven through nine. When you look at these verses, there's a theme here. One third of these one hundred one another's, one another commands, deal with the unity of the church. One third of them. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another before beginning the, the, the supper together in 1 Corinthians 11. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Seriously, don't eat each other up. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Gently and patiently tolerate one another. I can give you these references later. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. That's one third of them right there. Okay, so what's the other third? Well, guess what? It's probably not too far off this mark of unity here because the other third of them instruct us to love one another. Repeatedly, over and over. Love one another. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Be devoted to one another in love. But what about the other third? Well, about 15% of them then um, stress an attitude of humility and deference toward other believers. You know what deference, understand what deference is? It's deferring to someone else. Okay? Give preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Don't be haughty. Be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Call yourselves in humility toward one another. So you have unity. You had love. You have humility. And those, honestly, you can all put in the same category, can't you? Here's the rest. Do not judge one another and don't put a stumbling block in a brother's way. Greet one another with a kiss. Husbands and wives don't deprive one another of physical intimacy. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. Encourage and build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. And be hospitable to one another. She's saying, how can I serve? You probably want to hear this grand program, right? This is the grand program. These are Jesus' words, right? This is God's words. All those things are very simple things, aren't they? But what do every single one of them require? A setting myself aside and putting someone else first, right? A setting aside some perceived comfort to build up somebody else. You might say, wow, that's hard. And you're right. And you might say, does this really matter? Does it make a difference for eternity? And I want you to look at the rest of verse 11. Because if this really matters, the rest of verse 11, all this other stuff flows out of that, right? That God, in our speaking and our serving, in our word and our deed, that God, in all 
things. May be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So lift the king high. Lift the king high. Daniel Taylor in a writes in letters to my children. When I was a child, I was like most children, afraid of things that go bump in the night. But I told myself for no good reason that monsters that lie under beds can't break through blankets and sheets. By the time I was a teenager, I wasn't afraid of what might live under my bed. I was afraid of what my friends might have to say about the way I comb my hair. But now that I'm older, what do I fear now? I am afraid, to put it simply, of living a life that doesn't matter. I am afraid of leaving the world exactly as I found it, no different from my having been here. What are things that last forever? Justice, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, grace are a few. If I want my life to count, to be significant, then I will try to fill it as much as possible with these attitudes and actions. Listen, my opinions and rants and pet peeves aren't going to do verse 11, right? My own strength isn't going to do the end of verse 11. A passive posture isn't going to lift Jesus high. But God has called us in 1 Peter 2, 8 and 9, remember, to show He is good. To show forth the goodness of God to us. That He is worthy. That He is our King. We use this word worship all the time. It comes from an old English word meaning worth-ship. To show His worth. How we uh, um, uh, live and how we speak and, and what we do displays to the world what we think is valuable, doesn't it? What we think is worthy. Holds worth. And friends... Make sure it is God's trumpet you're blowing. Ian Thomas said, if it's only your trumpet, it won't wake the dead. It will simply disturb the neighbors. And so it it is speaking the very words of God. It is ministering the strength that God gives. Because he says in verse 11, so that in all things, Sunday through Saturday, right? Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. Yeah, Monday mornings. In all things, He receives the glory. In all things, we're showing the excellency of His mercy. Kevin Miller writes, I walked through the children's hospital in Omaha not long ago. And I saw a little baby boy there. Below two years of age with tubes running in and out of his body. Clearly very, very sick. I asked the nurse about him. And she said, I want to thank you for asking about him. He'll die before he's two years of age. The worst part is that his mother died in childbirth and his father's in the penitentiary. Nobody comes. Nobody asks about him much and he lays there. You're one of the first to even ask about him. He says, I walked out of that hospital that day thanking God that my two children are well and that it wasn't my baby. Then it seemed like out of the very atmosphere around me, God said, yeah, that is your baby. Because if you are our servant, the world you see and touch is God's and you are His servant. It's a story of a man named Joe who was an executive who did a lot of business traveling. And one day when he was on a flight, flown many times, seen all kinds of service, he said, I can't believe this flight crew. 
This was the most attentive, responsive flight crew he had ever seen in his life. So at the end of the flight, when everybody's getting off the plane, he stopped one of the flight crew members and he said, Excuse me, I don't mean to bother you, but I fly a lot. I've never seen a flight crew like this. You guys were the most engaged, enthusiastic, service-oriented flight crew that I've ever seen. And the flight attendant got a little smile on her face. And she whispered to Joe, she said, Thank you, sir, but for that you can thank the woman seated back there in 12B. See, the woman in 12B is the head supervisor for all the flight attendants for our airlines. (laughs) And she's on our flight. And friends, when we really know that Jesus is our audience, that he is on our flight, it has a profound way of changing the way we serve other people. According to verse 11, he is traveling with us. And according to the end of Matthew and Matthew's gospel, Whatever you do to other people is what you're doing to Him. How you treat one another is how you are treating Jesus. When Paul was persecuting believers as an unbeliever in in the book of Acts, Jesus has an encounter with him and He says to Paul, who is taking human beings that Paul obviously hated and imprisoning them and Paul is thinking he's doing it for God. And Paul says, why are you persecuting Me. And so it is with verses 10 and 11 here. How we speak, how we serve, reflects God because it is though we are speaking and serving. So let's put these verses together in pill form to swallow and take this morning. So if we forget... That when we're saved, we're given a gift to build up others and it's obstructing the building of Jesus' church and changing the world. We need together to, number one, use the King's gift He's given you. Secondly, speak the King's words. Those are heavy words. When it's all sifted, guess what's going to come through the sifter? Not the King's words. Those are too big and weighty and heavy. Just the sand of our words. Serve through the King's supply and His strength. And do this all by lifting the King high. This is what it would look like for each of us to serve one another for the glory of God. And God has guided us in these verses and to exactly how you and I can love God by loving people with the grace gift that He has given us to speak the very words of God and word, and serve indeed in the strength that He has supplied for the glory of God who belongs power and dominion forever. Amen. Let's pray.